In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may Maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. You're with Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, junior doctors started their longest ever strike this morning with hospitals warning it'll be extremely difficult to keep elderly patients safe this Christmas. Prince Andrew's New Year nightmare, the Duke faces bombshell new evidence from his alleged groping victim, which could lead to him facing yet another trial. And from one nightmare to another, could this woke hit by a Just Stop Oil activist top the charts this Christmas? Brace yourselves for this vile. It's awful. Good evening, Britain, and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It's yet another festive edition tonight. After all, no-one's at work, they've all gone home, everyone's out last-minute shopping, and, of course, there is yet another doctor's strike. And to make matters worse, the Royal Family's year is turning into yet another nightmare, thanks to Prince Andrew. So where to begin, then? We've got a glorious cast of characters tonight to discuss everything that's going on. Last night, I asked you, how do we fix Britain? And thanks to many of you, we've actually got some ideas to work with. We've got the fabulous lawyer Stephen Barrett, we've got the brilliant Tom Slater from Spikes Online, and we've got the tremendous Laura Donsworth too. Tens of thousands of elderly people are going to be trapped in hospitals over the Christmas holidays, even as the junior doctors gloat on social media about how they're all going to be off until the new year. Charming, eh? There's absolutely no provision for emergency care, and when I walked past Guy's Hospital today, twice, there was not only no picket line, but there were no ambulances outside either. We've got Woke Christmas number ones from Just Stop Oil being played outside Rishi Sunak's house. And we've got a Plank of the Year show to plan as well. That's all coming up. And of course, there's yet another hangover from last night, thanks to the BBC. The sports personality of the year last night was a complete disaster. They gave it to a woman. Calm down, though. I'm only kidding. But is it really the best example of a sports personality in 2023? I mean, goalkeepers, really? Also, we're taking a trip across the Atlantic to find out what on earth they think they're doing in Colorado, where a Supreme Court has ruled that Donald Trump cannot run for president because of his role in what they call the insurrection. I've got the Trump-hating former Congressman Joe Walsh. Even he thinks the decision is a load of old cobblers. And finally, we want to hear from all of you as well. You know the number, 0344-499-1000. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Now, we'll be asking you the question whether you support the junior doctor strikes. And if you do, why do you support them? Because at the end of the day, they're going to harm not just the NHS, but they're going to harm you as well. You can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones as well, 0344 499 1000. Calls will cost the national rate. But first up tonight, tens of thousands of sick 
and elderly patients will be trapped in hospital over Christmas due to the junior doctor's strikes. The latest three-day walkout began at 7 o'clock this morning and it's been described by hospital bosses as their worst fears realised. Those on strike across England are seeking a 35% pay rise, believe it or not. And our correspondent Jay Akbar has been at a picket line in London. Junior doctors on this picket line behind me are as loud and defiant as ever. And this scene will be repeated across the country. They've had a lot of support here outside University College London Hospital from van drivers, bus drivers, simply commuters driving by. This strike started at 7am this morning and runs until 7am on Saturday. And then there's another one in January running from the 3rd until the 9th. Because the junior doctors are on the picket line, the hospitals will be decidedly more empty than they normally would. It's expected that all routine care will be affected by both these strikes. It's getting very loud here. But speaking to the BMA UK Doctors Committee, they told me despite the strikes and despite the backlog growing, it's really important that they're out here. So our dispute's been going on for 14 months now. So that's 14 months the government had to meet us at the table and provide a credible offer. Unfortunately, they haven't been able to do that and therefore we've had to take strike action. This is the longest strike action in NHS history and unfortunately the government have pushed us to this limit. Negotiations between the BMA and the government lasted about five weeks, but they broke down quite dramatically recently, which is, which is why we're here. The British Medical Association is still holding out for a 35% pay rise. The government says that's unreasonable. They were only willing to add around 3% on top of an existing offer. Now, despite the impasse, all the passers-by we've spoken to today are still overwhelmingly in support of these striking junior doctors. Well, they are in support of the striking junior doctors, but that's probably because you're in London, where everybody is now a lefty, a champagne socialist, and somebody who thinks that the government is nothing if not absolutely and utterly evil. Let's have a look at what some of the people had to say for themselves. Fully supportive. Black Oak, government's ignoring everyone at the moment. About time we got rid of them. I believe they deserve to be paid what, they, what they're asking to be paid. They perform a very important... Yeah. service for us all. I definitely support them. Um, we need them for the future, for now, and it's only going to get worse if these intelligent people who the government has spent so much money training are then going to be moving out of the sector and going abroad. For God's sake, to discuss this and more is my panel for tonight. The editor of Spikes Online, Tom Slater, and barrister and spectator journalist Stephen Barrett in the studio for the first time. Welcome to both of you. What is wrong with people in London? Why are they always supporting anything other than a Tory government, anything that is in any way left-wing, and anything... And why does that woman have to go, oh, they're intelligent people? That last point... I know I plenty of doctors who are not very intelligent. <laughs> Sorry, but it doesn't give you an automatic right to call yourself intelligent just because you went to university and you got a doctor's certificate. That one sticks in the core a little bit of yeah. all strikes. These are so much more important because of the fact they're nice upper-middle-class kids yeah. who have had a good education. That said, what's been interesting, not just with the um, doctor strikes, but also with a lot of the other strike action this year, is how public support for it has kind of held up, yeah. more or less. And I think it really speaks to how much the government has mishandled basically everything at the moment. The fact that um, the message they're trying to push, which is this is putting people in danger and this yeah. is unnecessary, is not really cutting through with the public, even outside of London, it yeah. seems like. So I think it just shows another thing that the government can't get a handle on is the narrative. But I suppose that depends on who you ask, though. I mean, if you ask people walking around who don't go to hospitals and don't need to see a doctor, they might go, oh, yeah, well, of course they should get more money. Mm -hmm. But if you're sitting there for the third time this year getting your operation cancelled, Stephen, and you're asking whether your elderly mother is actually going to make it through Christmas because she's got cancer and she can't see her doctor because the, the stress stopping it, I think then you get a different picture, don't you? Yes, and I mean, that's 
perfect example of human basic human nature. Mm. The minute that it impacts you, you you will have a different uh, perspective yeah. on the matter. I mean, what what we, we do need to look at is whether or not, as as law, we want these strikes to be going ahead. Yeah. Because what's happened over the years is that there's a political opinion that everybody has the right to strike. Yeah. And that's become sort of embedded in law. But you can actually dig it out if you want to. And if some things are so important, such as being a doctor, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a distinct difference between uh, people who might need care whilst the strike is happening, but people who are already being cared for who are being let down. Yes. And that's a difference. You know, mm. Do we want to have rules that protect people who are already being cared for? Because there's some suggestion that people who are currently in hospital are going to suffer. And yeah, they're not going to be released over Christmas. There's a lot of elderly people who are not going to be able to be dealt with, so they're going to be stuck there, in other words. Yeah, which is which is you know a monstrous act of imprisonment. You know, mm. and people people will react to, to that. And all I ever say, all I ever want people to know, is that you don't necessarily have to say that there is a right to strike for everybody yeah. always. You right. can dig it out. We can change it. We can have the laws that suit us, that we want as a country, mm. and that work for us. And if some industries are so important that actually maybe we shouldn't allow them to go on yeah. strike. But I can understand where that would apply in certain situations. Certainly the police. You don't want the armed wing of the state to be unionised. I wonder how much worse it would be. Yeah. How would you notice if the police went on well, that, strike? That's a very good, very good point. But then it, I think when we're talking about doctors, they are within this monopoly of the NHS. They have these very rigid pay structures. Mm. They have had somewhere between 11 and 16... They've, been, real well, they, they've had the most that's money of any public sector... Uh, job, but right. junior doctors, they have, like many other professions, public sector as well as private sector, experienced these kind of real terms pay cuts over this period. That is a problem. And that we can argue about the morality of going on strike, particularly at a time like this, but I think then being able to exercise that is quite important, even if it does throw up big questions. It is, but then the other thing about the BMA and the way the, 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 the Union of Nurses operated is that there's an awful lot of people who are not in it. And quite yeah. frankly, when the, even when the nurses were on strike and they were getting quite a lot of sympathy from the public, there were huge swathes of, of health authorities who weren't on strike at all. And there were at least 50% of nurses who didn't ever go on strike. And the same goes for the, the, the junior doctors. There are many more doctors who are not on strike and who are not in the BMA because they just don't want to be. Because the BMA, to all intents and purposes, is an extremist organisation uh, which wants to bring down the government. Well, this is, this is the harm of putting one political opinion into, into law. It becomes yeah. a fixed, rigid way. Say that you want to get from where we are today to better paid doctors. Mm. We assume that the only way to get there is by striking right. and being in a union. But right. why is that? that? That wasn't required in the past. No. no. That wasn't how we went about things in the past. There are other ways of getting from, from where we are now to better paid doctors mm. without having a strike. And when people say that they support a strike... Are they really just supporting better pay for doctors? Mm. Are, are they genuinely supporting the idea that doctors who are caring for sick people will stop caring for them? Yeah, and that's you because know, that was, is what they would appear to be supporting. If that's what if they're honking when they see them on the picket line, you know, let's not forget that most doctors in the NHS also have private work that they do, and they're allowed under the laws of the strike to do private work while they're on strike. So, I mean, it's, it's a very nuanced argument, isn't it? It's not black and white. It is nuanced, but I think the nuance on the other side is the fact that they do have arrangements in place. There are no national derogations, to use the particular lingo, covering life and limb care at the moment, but that's because the gaps are filled more or less informally by consultants and specialists and so on. Yeah. This, I, I do understand that, um, particularly at a time when we've got the waiting list, what it is, and how terrible the NHS is at the, at the moment, that people are particularly concerned about these strikes, but at the same time, to suggest that all of these junior doctors are doing it out of malice or for anything other than they probably want better pay and working conditions and they recognise that the health service is also in a bit of a hole. I think we do have to be a little bit more generous to them. I don't think so. I disagree with you entirely. There's a young junior <laughs> doctor who's only got 
got his job in June of this year, right? Mm -hmm. And he's pr pretty much been on strike ever since. Um, he hasn't really done any doctoring. All he's done is an awful lot of um, social media posts and an awful lot of striking. And he's put a social media post out today saying, thank, thank God for the BMA, I'm now off until after Christmas. And that's a junior doctor who did his qualification, who presumably knew what the job was going to entail, and clearly doesn't want to do it. I, I do understand it, but do we think it's a good, healthy situation when we have a health service which is on its knees, but also where you're taking your kind of junior doctor recruits and you're expecting to put up with real terms pay cuts over the course of this period? We need to sort that out. And But the other thing I think is important... Yeah, but, but, the, is NHS, of, but the NHS you know. has, has been well-funded for a very long time. They argue that it isn't funded, no, which is I, wrong. I agree, but I think that's the problem that we have to confront. Is so many of these problems are to do with the structure of the NHS, yeah, how irrational it is, how much reform it totally. needs. Also, we have to reckon with the fact that the government thought they could turn it off and on like a blow heater over the course of the past couple of years during mm. the pandemic yeah. and sim seemingly didn't foresee the horrendous consequences. I do think there's an element of missing that much bigger problem of NHS reform, also the mania of the COVID yeah. years, and then look... and then basically blaming that all on these striking junior doctors. Yeah. Which even, the rights and wrongs of this strike aside, they are clearly not responsible. I'm not blaming everything on them at all, but, but certainly the fact that the NHS is a basket case is not a new story. It's been a basket case for a very long mm -hmm. time. It's not fit for purpose. It hasn't been fit for purpose for a very long time. But no government has ever taken it on because they're all too frightened of upsetting anyone who thinks that it's the jewel in the crown yeah. of British society. No, that's and it's time we realised that it's not, Stephen. Well, one of the reasons that I appear in public life and uh, remind politicians of all the legal powers they do have is because they have phenomenal power. Yeah. And if they really want to, then they can reform the NHS and fix right. everything. You know, and what, what we're sort of doing, what we're sort of falling into is a sideshow, quite, quite an infantile mm. one, where on one side you've got people saying striking is morally good, striking is great, and on the other side you're, the, the temptation is to go, oh, striking is, is very bad. Striking is not going to fix the NHS. No. Mm. And, if, neither, if and neither is a 35% pay rise, no. which is ridiculous. No. And if we want to fix the NHS, politicians need to uh, accept the powers that they have. And that doesn't matter which party they come from. Mm. You know, we have the party of government now. We may have a different party in government uh, in, in, in a period of time. Just accept the power that you have. Get, I, I went into Parliament to talk to them and, and yeah. explain the powers that they have. Right. And there's a sort of reluctance to admit that they have as much power as they have. Yeah. They are conditioned. And Do you think they don't know or understand what powers they have? Well, I think that's a very interesting question. I mean... We, we had to deal with this and the issue of um, understanding how international law works in this country. And the mm. president of the Supreme Court said there's a long, uh, there's a widespread misunderstanding. Yes. And he said that misunderstanding has probably come about because of overexposure to how Europe does it. Yeah. And the idea that we do it differently has been forgotten. Mm. It became uncool to notice that Britain does things differently. Right. But we, we do. Whether it's cool or not cool is, yes. not, is not for me. But, but we do. And, and, and whether Parliament actually understands the immense power it wields. I mean, all 600 mm. 50 of them have sovereign power. That's yeah. huge. You know, yes. that's absolutely huge. And they can fix problems. They haven't wanted to, and it hasn't been politically yeah. possible, and all the rest of it. But I think we're, push will come to shove. It always does. Yeah, mm -hmm. it um, does. And I think, Tom, the other thing is, is that the NHS doesn't really take enough of the blame for how bad the NHS is. Mm -hmm. And I accept that some governments haven't exactly been brilliant. And, you know, when you have health secretaries who don't know what they're doing and they only do the job for three months or six months or something, I get yeah. all that. But, I mean, the NHS is bad because it's badly run mm -hmm. and it's badly resourced because they don't do the right thing with the money that they've got. So most of the reform, it seems to me, has to be done inside the NHS rather than inside government. And, it, and it's the running of it, but also it's the structure of yeah. it. You know, the idea that it's the envy of the world that became this template that yeah. everyone copied. It's really it's not, not true at all. I mean, no. also, if you look at the 
in terms of the amount of money that goes into it, a fair amount of money if you compare it to the OECD um, yeah. um, colleagues and so on, it's pretty similar, quite high up the scale. Mm. If you look at the outcomes, they're dreadful. There was that famous report a few years yeah. saying the NHS is good at all kinds of things apart from keeping people alive. Yeah. That is an experience that... It's quite good at killing people off. And it, and it still is so. now. I mean, people go in, you've got more, more chance. If you're an elderly um, patient now going into hospital, you've got more chance of getting sicker since you've been in hospital mm. than from before you went in. And you've got more chance of dying from something that you get while you're in there. Yeah, and that's the nettle that needs to be grasped. We've got to tr stop treating it as this national religion. It's yeah. a health. We're not here to serve the health service. It's no. to serve us, but we've got that right. 180 degrees the wrong way around. But that's it. Years I mean, we're now, we've now got doctors who say, look, don't come and see us. Don't bother us with anything you've got mm. wrong with you. Just fix it yourself. Get to the pharmacy. You get something, <laughs> take something. Don't come here. You know, we've got very many busy things to do than have to deal with you. I think it's almost as though some people in the NHS would rather there weren't any patients because they just complicate everything, <laughs> you know? It's much better if we could just run the business. Yes. I mean, unfortunately, that's, that's an attitude also taken by some judges. So yeah. it's very popular amongst senior judges to want people to go away and just use mediation. Yes. Which is an alternative to right. court. Mm. Just use the alternative. It's right. not as good and it's a bit rubbish, right. but you won't bother us. Right. And you won't know what you're doing. <laughs> but that's the other thing about the NHS is that, you know, when they, when they ask people not to use it, you know, as if they've got better things to do with the money. Mm -hmm. And they, we all know that they waste the money in all sorts of ridiculous ways that we're not going to get into. And we also know that they've got huge negligence lawsuits every single year, hundreds of millions of pounds go south because of what they get wrong. And we, we do deserve so much better than this, not yeah. just because of the amount of money that's going into it, but we are going to talk about how, um, you know, healthcare free at the point yeah. of use. Forget the NHS structure, right. it's such a great thing. Definitely, let's defend it, but let's make it as good as it right. possibly can be. And it's dreadful at the moment, and it has been for a very long right. time. And it's it? not really free either, but that's another conversation. Quite. But guys, we'll come back to you because we've got plenty of other things to talk about. Uh, it's not just the NHS, it's not just Dr. Strikes. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Coming up next, the unfortunate new development for Randy Andy, who's embroiled in his association with Jeffrey Epstein. Don't sweat it, we'll see you after this. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, he's a prodigal prince that keeps on blundering. No, not Harry. I'm talking about Randy Andy. The Duke of York's links to Jeffrey Epstein may come under further scrutiny after a judge approved the release of hundreds of files from a defamation case. Files relating to more than 170 associates, friends or victims of the disgraced financier will all be made public. And these include evidence from Epstein's former PA, Joanna Schoberg, who's claimed that Prince Andrew groped her at a party while holding a spitting image puppet of himself. Crikey, what a dreadful thought. I'm now joined by the host of the To Die For Daily podcast, Kinsey Schofield, and former BBC royal correspondent, Michael Cole. A very good evening to both of you. Um, I'll just kick things off before uh, we come to you with this from Cliff, who's tweeted in. He says, put Prince Andrew on the picket line with the junior doctors. That'll get the bastards back on the wards. And I'm sure it would. Um, Prince Andrew, Michael, I can't believe that he's <laughs> going to ruin the royals' Christmas again. Yes, Mike. Well, this is the last Christmas present he wanted as he arrives at Wood Farm on the Sandringham Estate in order to uh, spend the Christmas holidays with his nearest and dearest. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, may be long dead, uh, the unlamented uh, and long gone yeah. Epstein, but his long shadow still casts a very dark light across the life of the Queen's, the late Queen's uh, second son. This um, is a very sad and dreadful state of affairs. It comes about because um, a judge in New York, uh, Loretta Preska, 
has decided to release information about a case that's been decided. And in that, on the 1st of January, although we'll hear about it on the 2nd, uh, she will be releasing the names of 177 people who either gave witness statements or uh, were interviewed mm. in that case. And they include some very prominent people, very well-known people, some people with worldwide reputations. That, I think, is the more interesting part of this particular story. But the specifics come down to this, something that happened 22 years ago when Ms. Schoberg, who we saw her picture, she was 20. Yeah. Uh, she was in Epstein's uh, townhouse in Manhattan. Uh, Virginia Roberts, now Mrs. Virginia Dufre, was also there. She was 17, and by the laws of New York, under the age of consent mm. for sexual relationships. And uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, we remember her, she's now serving 20 years in federal jail in America for procuring and trafficking young girls, underage girls, in other words, children, yeah. for the sexual pleasure of Jeffrey Epstein. She brought down this spitting image puppet. Now, if you remember that show, Andrew was always depicted with enormous tombstone teeth, mm. laughing all the time. Anyway, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell put this puppet on the lap of Virginia Roberts, as she then was, and put the hands of the puppet on Virginia Dufre, as she is now, breasts. Mm. At that point, Miss Schoberg says that voluntarily, of her own volition, she sat on Prince Andrew's lap, and he then put his hands on her breasts. In other words, he groped her. One presumes it was outside her clothing, but we don't know about that. Now, by any stretch, what were these two middle-aged men doing with these young girls and behaving in such a way where they're all presided over by Ghislaine Maxwell, who was effectively uh, Epstein's yeah. madam? So it's a nasty, smelly kettle of fish, but it's important to say, Michael, and I know you'll probably say it too, Prince Andrew has never been charged with anything, yeah. let alone And he does deny all, doesn't he? He does, he does deny it. Let me, let me bring Kinsey in. Kinsey, I mean, it's an extraordinary story, this really, isn't it? Because for a long time, people have asked the question, how is it possible that all of these people who have been photographed with Jeffrey Epstein, all of these powerful men, particularly in America uh, and all around the world, who have known him, have maybe been to his house in New York, have possibly been to the island in the Caribbean, uh, you know, how is it that their names have never really come out? Is this the moment that that happens, do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are shaking in their boots right now in the United States because it's like you said, uh, some very powerful people. I mean, former presidents could yeah. potentially be on this list. That's got to be incredibly intimidating. And we, you know, we are in the, the midst of a crazy election season. Um, these yeah. are the types of stories you don't want to come out. Specifically, we heard that Hillary Clinton was going to be thrown out to support Joe Biden as he tries to get reelected. And that is one of those. Uh, if certain names are on that list, that's definitely going to kill that plan. Yeah, absolutely right. And as far as the, uh, the incident that Michael describes in, in the townhouse, in New York. Andrew has denied it. Andrew has denied ever, ever being involved in anything of a sleazy nature, but remains to be seen um, how he can explain paying $12 million 
pounds or whatever the amount is, we think it could be between five and 12 million pounds, to somebody who he claims he's never met. Yeah, that's right, it's uh, Michael. He it's says, sorry. I mean, he said sorry. in his interview on, on Newsnight, he said, I've never met the lady. Yeah. Uh, not, not, not that he hadn't uh, uh, slept with her, but he'd never, ever met her. So why did he give this sum? It is, in fact, unknown how much it was. Sometimes it's mentioned as 12 million dollars, sometimes two million, somewhere in between. Mm. Even after the lawyers have had their chunk, which would have been big, uh, it would necessarily have been a large sum of money. And it was said at the time that he paid that money in order that there should be no embarrassment or, or uh, change of focus during the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee. So he paid the money to get it out of the way. Of course, the fact is, it's not out of the way. This is, uh, I'm afraid, some a story he cannot get in front of. It's rather like, you know, that wad of chewing gum that sticks to your tennis shoe. However hard you try, you can never get rid of it. And it's always there. It is. It's always there. It let me let me just get yet. let me just get back to Kinsey there because Kinsey, I mean, you can imagine the scene at Sandringham this Christmas. You know, it was meant to be a relatively kind of quiet Christmas. You know, King Charles for the first time kind of hosting it, and uh, obviously with with uh, his brother Andrew there. Harry was more or less a distraction. He wasn't going to be involved. But now, can you imagine what it's going to be like sitting around the Christmas dinner table uh, on Christmas Day? Well, thankfully, Queen Camilla's children are going to be there and grandchildren are going to be there for the first time. So that will be a lovely distraction. Everybody's spending time with some, you know, some some familiar faces, but all under the same roof for the first time. So I think that everybody will welcome that fresh blood in, into the environment and probably spend a lot of time focusing on that versus, um, you know, this this countdown. Uh, but, you know, just in regards to your last question, in Hollywood, people do this all the time. Mm. If you have the money to spend and you want a story to go away, whether you're guilty or not, you you write a check to end it, to end that conversation. So while, you know, I, I know it looks like a, an element of guilt when somebody pays somebody off, it when you deal with it all the time, like we do here in the States, and especially in that industry, I just, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. Well, there may not be anything wrong with it, but in this case, it didn't work, because if the payoff was to keep everybody quiet, you know, they haven't all stayed quiet. So I'm afraid, uh, Michael, it's, it's come back to haunt him. But let me ask both of you. I see the lovely Meghan Markle's back in the news. She's appeared in some kind of weird uh, coffee advert. Um, I'm going to ask Kinsey about this one first, Michael, because it's her area oh, of expertise. Cool. Um, there's some coffee company up in Santa Barbara, uh, which apparently Meghan has invested in. We're just seeing it now. Um, she's filmed a little kind of cameo role for some reason. I suppose if you were going to be completely neutral about it, you'd say, well, why not? You know, let's have a bit of fun with it. But it's kind of a bit unbecoming, isn't it, of uh, somebody who calls herself the Duchess of Sussex? I mean, I, I do think that there's an element of their, her laughing at us wearing, you know, thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry and pretending to be an intern. Yeah. But I think ultimately this is her trying to have the last laugh. Their headlines have been ferociously negative over the last few months being called Hollywood's biggest losers and everything else that's come with that.
This is her saying, I'm going to take control of the headlines and you're all going to be talking about my, co you know, this coffee company that right. I've invested in. Will the return on investment be there? I highly doubt it. But we're seeing influencer, Megan, like we've said over the last year, what, what can she go and do now going right. forward? She can make content for Instagram and that's exactly what this is. Yeah. Interesting. Michael, what do you make of it? It's a strange... Uh, well, it was a, little, it was a little bit blink and you miss it. You saw her loveliness uh, wafting through the final frame there in a, in a blue cardigan, it looked like to me, uh, playing an intern, uh, as Kinsey says, and apparently attempting a fist bump with one of the real workers yes. and missing. So I'm not sure that's an entirely successful piece of acting by this great megastar of suits in the past, of course, before she became a royal duchess. Here we are, we see it again. Can you spot her? Well, I think you have to be quick to do that. I imagine she's put the money into the company. She wants it to succeed, to succeed. and this is her, her effort to give it a bit of a boost. I'm not sure whether it's gonna work. The question is, is the coffee any good? I don't know, I don't live in California. Yeah, well, you're probably oh. glad that you don't live in California if that's the kind of thing you have to witness at all times. Um, but let's have a look at uh, Mike Tyndall uh, just before we let you go because he's made what might be described as a slightly, um, I don't know, funny remark about Prince William and his inability to drink. Yeah. Let's have a look. For the Prince of Wales, he is known as One Pipe Willie. Um, uh, he's known to me as One Pipe Willie because he's, he's not the best of drinkers coming from a sport where... Uh, it's built on the social aspect and a couple of beers being sunk quite often. So, um, yeah, that is that is one that I will definitely give away for the Prince, <laughs> Prince of Wales. Uh, one pint, Willie. There you go. Oh, it's out there now. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sir. <laughs> sorry, sir. Kinsey, one point, Willie. Um, I think it's uh, what, what I miss about Harry. I think Mike has slid in and and taken his place. He's silly. He's authentic. He's naughty. And, uh, you know, one pint Willie, I, you know, I'm right there with you, Prince William. One one glass of champagne Kinsey. Otherwise, I'm I'm in the fetal position on the floor. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Mr. Cole, what do well, you make of it? Kinsey is what used to be known as a cheap date, you know, just right. one drink. So it's one drink for Willie. I think that's an I think that's an extremely good idea because he doesn't drink. That's always a good sign. And indeed, Princess Diana, his mother, was not a great drinker at all. She she partook very, very slightly. And I think that's a good thing. It it's one of the other habits that you don't have to have. And that's a good thing yeah. in an heir to the throne, I think. Yes. And it, it sort of sets him aside, doesn't it, from Harry, uh, who's known to partake perhaps a little yes. bit too much, uh, not only in the drink, but also in some of the other stuff. Precisely so. I think there'll be a welcome in the hillsides for that one, the hillsides of Wales, <laughs> because he's not a boozer. Well, you know, I think Mike Tiddle probably makes up for the whole of the rest of the family. I suspect so. I suspect he absolutely does. Well, listen, if I don't see you, have a great Christmas. Welcome uh, to both of you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Kinsey Schofield there, Michael Cole. Uh, all the best to Kinsey. Yeah, all the best too. Uh, the latest from the royal family. Even leading up to Christmas, they can't just shut the doors and leave us all alone. It's absolutely ridiculous. This, of course, is the home of common sense, the independent republic uh, of Mike Graham. Coming up next, we'll find out why environmentalists are all song and dance this Christmas. And there's more Tory turmoil for Rishi Sunak as yet another by-election looms. Plus, Kemi Badenoch makes a blatant pitch for leadership. Stay exactly where you are.
Welcome back to The Truth, The Whole Truth and Nothing But The Truth. Here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, we're looking at the Tories on damage limitation and why environmental protesters from Extinction Rebellion to Just Stop Oil are quite literally singing this Christmas. Take a look at this. I, so Dear God, I mean, that's sort of everything that's wrong with the planet as far as these people are concerned. They think that it's got everybody uh, in the wrong frame of mind and they'd like, like to make it a Christmas number one. Apparently, um, somebody was outside Rishi Sunak's house singing it and they got arrested, probably just because it's such a bloody awful song. But you've now heard the song. Let me read to you uh, some of those lyrics. And these are from Louise. You might have recognised the woman singing there. She's the one who got done for being up the gantry uh, on the A52 wailing atop, going, the earth is all dying and all that sort of rubbish. There she is, yeah, the earth's dying. Uh, and anyway, so here are some lyrics. So take me where the bluebirds sing while we lose everything. There's too much poisoning and fly me where the birds still fly because smoke fills up our sky because we ran out of time. I mean, it doesn't even rhyme, does it? They're all rubbish. You know, chuck this, I think. There you go. Uh, thanks, Louise, but no thanks. Uh, we'll stick with what we know. Um, I have to say, it's been a funny old week in politics. Alicia Fitzgerald joins us. Welcome to the show. Hello. Um, this has been, is this your first week? Your second the second week. week. Second week. Time flies. I mean, we got breaking news last night that there's going to be yet another by-election mm -hmm. um, because young uh, Mr Peter Bone has been recalled. Um, we've also seen the rise of Kemi Badenoch, possibly. We've also seen Rishi Sunak sort of getting ever more tetchy. Um, I mean, let's talk about Just the War for a start. I mean, these people just don't want to give up, do they? I mean, I was talking to somebody about Greta Thunberg, how she's no longer a schoolgirl and she's now kind of a grown-up and she's still kind of complaining that we're not doing anything about all the things she predicted that haven't happened. Well, the singing outside Rishi Sunak's house, they did it to Keir Starmer last week as yeah. well, so they're, they're definitely trying to access all areas and right. really get their message out there. Uh, whether it's working or not is a totally different question. I think yeah. even lots of people who generally support the cause of mm. Just Up just Oil and to really back their message do generally feel like the way that they're going about it isn't the most appropriate no. or effective Well, way. unfortunately, they seem to sit around every week trying to think of yet more outrageous ways to do things. And every now and again, they say they're not going to do something and they don't do it for a while. And then they start doing something else. I mean, they haven't glued themselves to anything for a while. So I suppose we should be quite thankful for that. Also, I think with the Christmas song, it's a shame that it's not going to be Shane, Shane McGowan's uh, well, fairy tale of New York. I think, I think uh, Shane McGowan's got more chance of being number one than that rubbish. But I mean, presumably they won't be allowed to make it into any kind of plastic-like um, thing. They'll just have to stream it. You won't be able to buy a, a vinyl copy of it. You won't be able to buy a CD of it, presumably, will you? Because that would be... Well, I'm not sure exactly how it works. That would be I mean, very unenvironmentally friendly. They often are criticised as well for travelling to their areas of protest by train, yeah. by other um, carbon-emitting right. forms of transport. I mean, obviously, it's pretty hard to travel anywhere without emitting carbon unless you're walking, unless you're right. cycling. But sometimes it's a bit too far to do that unless yes. you want to be really bold. But that is a bit of a sticking point, so maybe they would whack out an old CD. Who knows? I mean, they are unbelievable. Hopefully, uh, they won't be doing anything over Christmas, but you never, you never quite know. But it's been another weird week, hasn't it, for the Tories? I mean, Rishi Sunak has been in front of various committees 
having to be uh, questioned at quite close quarters about his Rwanda plan. Uh, he was there just the other day. Um, and he seems to be in a completely different world to everybody else, doesn't he? It really has been a surprisingly busy week. Usually this last week yeah. before Christmas in politics is really quite quiet. There's normally not a lot on at all. But I think given the, the optics for next year, we've got a general election coming up. There was yeah. no way we were going to get away with another quiet week uh, in December this year. As you said, he sat in front of the liaison committee. That is a chance for the prime minister three times a year to sit in front of a chair of the, each select committee from each government department. That's yeah. the Home Office, the Foreign Office, the Health Department. Right. And just be quizzed about his work in each mm. area and clearly migration and Rwanda were a really big sticking point for him mm. on this occasion. Yeah and what do you think is going to happen in the new year because he comes back and, and having had that kind of um, vote that, that he won reasonably easily because no Tory voted against it he found himself in this kind of pincer movement of one lot saying well if you change that we're never going to vote for it and another lot saying if you don't change it we're never going to vote for it. Well, this is it. He's got a lot of pressure mounting mm. on him. And, and just because it's a new year doesn't mean all these problems go away on the right. 1st of January. He's going to come back to various issues. He's got the, the Rwanda bill returns to the Commons in January. Obviously, he got over that first hurdle of getting enough MPs on side. But whether that will last mm. and whether he'll be able to push it over again is we'll have to wait and see about that. He's got such a divided party at the moment. There yeah. are people towards the right of the party saying one thing and people towards the centre saying something totally, totally different. So they're all really at mm. odds. And he's just got to try and keep his party together. And which, keep yeah, which is going to be a gargantuan task. We've got Kerry Badenoch this week as well, making what some people saw as a kind of bid to try and take the leadership of the right for, away from Suella Braverman, because she's gone a bit quiet this week, hasn't she? Yeah, I mean, Kemi has been someone who people rumoured to be gunning mm. for the next leader for a while now. It's, obviously, it is all just gossip. It's speculation at that. The, this point. No one's actively said they're definitely going to run for next mm. Conservative leader. But the front runners have always kind of been Suella Braverman, Kemi Bade-Nock, uh, Petty Morden. Yeah. And now we've got a couple of others in the mix as well, potentially Robert Jenrick, potentially Priti Patel. Yeah. We don't really know, but it, it has generally been seen. A lot of women in that as well. Right. Sort of highlight. Um, it has generally been seen as a Kemi, Suella, and Penny Mordaunt race. Yeah. The difference is, is obviously both Kemi and Suella, they are both more towards the right of the party than Penny Mordaunt. But Kemi and Suella do differ. A little bit. Mm. One, Suella Braverman has been in the role that lots of people say curses you to become leader, yes. that is being the Home Secretary. Yeah. Lots of people say that once you've done that, it's really hard to be the leader of a party mm. because it's a role that can very easily make you the bad guy. Yeah. It's a role that is super divisive. And nobody's been any good at it, really, have they? Well, that's I mean, it. I can't remember the last time there was a decent Home Secretary, really. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they had one really big goal of stopping the boats, for example, and that has definitely not happened. Right. So it is a role that definitely puts you up um, in the spotlight um, amongst the public and amongst other members yeah. of your party. Kemi, on the other hand, hasn't been in a role where she's been up for that much scrutiny. She's been Women and Equalities Minister. Yeah. And not many people on in her party, that's not the same as in the public, have criticised her decisions there. She said that LGBTQ plus issues have been really politicised. Lots of people in the party party agreed with that. Yeah. So she's not really had a role where she's been given a chance to have had a lot of a, a lot of grilling like Suella Braverman right. has. But we've got a little um, a clip of her talking to a Labour counterpart uh, where she got quite sort of stroppy. Uh, and this was over the whole trans debate which has been going on this week. And you've also made these statements using inflammatory language that likens children and young people coming out as trans to the spread of a disease. I've never said that. That is a lie. Well, that is a lie, and I think you should withdraw that statement. That is a lie. You are lying. You are lying. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not lying you. To are you are lying. I have I'm never ever you. used the word disease. And I think this is, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. 
You are making statements I in a select committee that are untrue. just called me a liar. Can I just remind the Minister that is unparliamentary right. language? It's, what she has said is not true. It's not true. So it's OK to accuse somebody of something they haven't said, but if you call them a liar for doing it, that's not right, under parliamentary privilege. Um, so committees are covered by parliamentary language business, are they? Yes, yeah, it, it, parliamentary language is this really weird rule. Well, it's not actually probably not that weird, to yeah. be honest, but it's just a very all-encompassing rule yeah. that Parliament have about things you can and cannot say. And one thing you absolutely cannot do is call someone a liar right. in a parliamentary speech or uh, during any debate. So right. she'll definitely be in a bit of trouble for that. Obviously, it's not going to be too But severe. presumably she did that deliberately, then, because she knew that people would be watching that and they would see it and quite like it, probably. Definitely, and especially given the context at the moment, as you said, that she's probably trying to weave her way into the yeah. potential leadership bid. She's definitely going to want to make sure that her name is clear and she doesn't have any massive rows uh, like like what mm. could have developed from that, really following her around and really dominating the media. Right. It's really important for yeah. her at the moment. And I heard you talking um, earlier this week about the, the, the sort of drinks party at Rishi Sunak's gaff at the Downing Street night, where he didn't sort of hang around very long, but he did say there's definitely going to be an election next year. Is it still likely to be later rather than sooner, do you think? Well, personally, I'm betting on it being in May. Right. Uh, not particular reason, just feels like that is generally what most people uh, in Westminster are thinking. Most of the MPs seem to think it will be around then. And lots of them are just thinking that leaving it a bit later than that would just be dragging it out yeah. far too long and people just need to get into it now. Yeah. The Conservatives feel like they could risk getting into worse position in the polls if they dragged it out too long. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? And plus, you'd also have to go over the summer holidays, which is never a good idea, is it? It's better no. to get it out of the way, I think. If Because, I mean, it, the, the best possible scenario, really, for the Tories is that they don't lose too badly. But they're always going to lose, aren't they? Well, yeah. If, I hate predicting elections yeah. because, obviously, we can look at the polls, we can look at the optics. Obviously, it does look like Labour are going to have a landslide, but yeah. you do just never, ever know. Like, crazy things. Crazy things have happened uh, in politics in very short spaces yeah. of time, and especially in the past few years. I'm sure people remember mm. all the various things that yeah. we've seen in the past couple well, of years. Well, I remember coming in here to do an overnight <laughs> election special uh, in 2019 and listening to um, the sort of exit polling that was being... Not just before the exit polling was being done, but how big the turnout was and how there was a lot of big turnouts in, in Labour constituencies. And I became convinced that Corbyn was going to win. And it wasn't until the actual exit poll came out that it looked like that was wrong. But the way it was all being reported at the time, Corbyn looked much more popular than it turned out that he actually was. Definitely. I think this case is a bit different. There, yeah. There is lots of evidence to, to support the fact that Labour are definitely in a very good position, even with these by-elections. Yeah. And obviously, we've got we've got Peter Bone's by-election right. looming in the new year. But Just there's 18,000 been... majority, probably lose that. Yeah, there's, 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 a, there's a lot, been a lot of by-elections. And the Conservatives have lost nine out of ten of them. Uh, so it's not looking super good. Obviously, a by-election doesn't necessarily predict a general election, but it's a good way of kind yeah. of getting a bit of public mood about, about what's going on and where people yeah. want to put But their if votes. they lose that one, that'll be 25, won't it, that they've lost, 25 seats yeah. that they've lost it's in massive. the course of four years, five years. It's amazing. Yeah, it's huge. Ridiculous. Huge. Alicia, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we've got more to come. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Up next, union doctors continue their strikes. They're still asking for 35% pay rises. Is this the peak of Britain? Your thoughts and your calls after the break. Stay right here. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for Taking the Mic.
Have you been down to the picket line today? It might be the only chance you have of seeing a doctor this side of the new year. That's right, those poor, hard-done-by junior doctors are back on strike and this time they mean to really put a spanner in the works for the sick and dying in this country. If it wasn't so damaging, you might be forgiven for thinking it's some kind of Christmas pantomime designed to turn the normally placid NHS patients into raging revolutionaries. Not content with already obtaining the biggest pay rise in the public sector with 12% plus already topped up by another government donation, these ghastly extremists have vowed to continue their strike action until the Tory government falls. Now, you'd be hard-pushed to find anyone in the public or the private sector that thinks this government is doing a good job of anything but to relentlessly strike for weeks and months knowing that the people who are really suffering are the old, the infirm and the sick is truly a heinous crime. We already know that one million appointments have been lost in the last year, even as the waiting list for procedures in the NHS grow to nearly eight million. Without the strikes, the NHS has been proving itself to be hopelessly old-fashioned and too slow to adapt to modern technologies. But what we know is that the British Medical Association does not represent all doctors, thank God. In fact, the majority of doctors are not actually even on strike. The extremist union types all bark up the same tree, unfortunately. There's not enough doctors and the NHS is underfunded. Well, first, there are more doctors now in the NHS than there have been for the last 10 years. And the NHS has never been in receipt of more money from the government than it is now. Nurses settled for a modest 5% pay rise. Consultants got what they wanted. But these junior doctors are still holding out for an impossibly ridiculous 35%. It's quite frankly embarrassing. And it was made more so by junior doctor Andrew Lawson Hughes, a first-year doctor in Yorkshire. He gloated today about being off until after Christmas, thanks to the strike action. God bless the BMA, he posted on social media, alongside a picture of himself with a beaming smile. He only graduated in the summer, and he's already been on strike several times. I can't imagine he's done much work at all. Back in October, he wrote, You can pull my cold, dead body off the picket line before I do anything the shambles of a government wants. No mention of a duty of care, no mention of the Hippocratic Oath, no mention of compassion. Just hard left, lacking in compassion, ghastly, extreme politics. He ought to be ashamed and he ought to be sacked. Not tomorrow, not next week, not in the new year, but now. Britain is heartily sick of these doctors. We'd be better off without them. Now... Lots of you have been getting in touch. You can have your say on all the socials at Talk TV and, of course, on the phones, 0344 499 1000. Let's hear now from our first caller tonight. John is in Newcastle. Hello, John. Hello, Mike. Uh, I can only agree with what you've been saying in the last few minutes. Good. Uh, basically, I told you a story once ago. Uh, 50 years ago, I went to France. To cut the story short, I, meet, I met a lady. Uh, she was waiting three weeks for a holiday. Uh, oh, yeah. for a, sorry, for a... Uh, an operation. Yes. And I, back here, would have been waiting around about 13, 14, 15 weeks. Yes. And so, therefore, I lost all control in the sense that um, NHS is the best in the world. Yeah. The Labour politicians, even Liberals and Tories, were saying the NHS is the best in the world. Well, I can only say that the NHS, since I realised that 50 years ago, because mm. I'm hitting towards 80, is a lie. It it's is a lie. And it was a lot better then as well. So actually, and, and, it's worse and, now than it was then. Yes, and private doctors, because I came back from France a few months ago, yeah. uh, they go out and they work. And you're not just a patient, you know, you're, uh, they take the money off you yeah. and you get it reimbursed 
by the uh, big massive insurance companies which are half in France for all of the people. Right. You're, 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 you know, it, it, it's really disgusting the way they're treating our it is. people. It's absolutely and outrageous. John, listen, believe... thanks for your call. We've got to run because we've got to move on. We're going to squeeze in John from West Lothian. Hi, John. Good evening, mate. Yeah, what do you want to tell me? Well, first of all, I don't believe the doctor should be on strike. I'm totally Quite against right. any, anybody in that sort of profession where, where lives are at stake yeah. should, be, should be allowed to go on strike and it should be written into the contract that they're not allowed to go on strike. Yeah. And I, I think, think, I think that's absolutely spot on. They should not yeah. be allowed to strike. They shouldn't want to strike, for heaven's sake. No, exactly. But I, I think that the BMA are just using it as a political tool to have a go at the government, hoping there'll be a change of government and they may get what they want in the long term. Um, so I, I'm totally against it altogether. Yeah. And having spoken to a number of people, medical people within the health service, yeah. they, they say themselves that, that there is enough money coming yeah. into the you're health service. You're absolutely right. Listen, it's, John, you're absolutely right. Of course there's enough money. There's no question there's enough money, and they just need to allocate it better and differently. This is, of course, the sparkling independent Republican Mike Graham. In the next hour, we look at Trump's third Reich thunderstorm and why a state court has banned the 45th president from becoming the 47th. Don't go anywhere. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Good evening. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham on talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and we're on your smart speaker tonight. Is Donald the right man for the job? See what I did there? Trump is accused of quoting Adolf Hitler in a rally in the US as the state of Colorado blocks him from standing as a presidential candidate. The BBC Sports Personality Prize is embroiled in a row over this year's winner. 
England goalie Mary Earps, who lifted the trophy despite the team not winning the World Cup. And is it Bethlehem? No, it's Bexley Heath, a man is spotted riding a camel down the street in London. That's one way to avoid the ULES charge. Now, there's much to discuss coming up in this hour of the show. One of the, one of the things we're going to talk about is should King Charles ban Prince Andrew from the royal family's Christmas Day church service? Should he be actually going to church, given what he's accused of doing? Uh, who can say? Maybe the sinner uh, is the one who should be the first in the door. We shall see. Get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones, 0344 499 1000. Calls will cost the national rate. Now, before we do anything else, though, it's hard to avoid this story because I normally make it a rule that I never say anything about the Sports Personality of the Year Award. One, because it's entirely a snore fest produced by the ever-increasingly irrelevant BBC. And two, because it so dominates their schedule whenever it's on, I figure if you want to watch it, you will. But this year, it has managed to irritate even me with its ludicrous virtue signalling, self-congratulatory smugness and the outrageous amount of airtime it's given as if it is a bona fide event. It isn't. You would have to be living in an isolation tank if you didn't know by now that the winner last night was the rather interestingly dressed Mary Earps. Yep, I'd never heard of her either. Apparently, she's the goalkeeper for the England women's team. She won because the wokest at the Beeb thought it had to be a woman this year. After all, it hasn't been a woman since, uh, let's see, last year uh, and uh, the year before that. So why not, right? And why not give it to someone who isn't a household name just so you can promote the fact that women's football is just about the only sport you can now watch on the BBC. Problem is, though, they actually dropped the ball because there were far bigger names with far bigger achievements that they could have picked. I mean, they could have had snooker genius Ronnie O'Sullivan, who won another record-breaking eighth UK Championship title this year, or Stuart Broad, whose antics with bat and ball saved England from a humiliating defeat against Australia in this year's Ashes series. Now, I've got no argument with Mary Earps, even though some are blaming her for not winning anything and making the mistake that saw England chucked out of the Olympics. I don't even really care that she turned up on the night dressed like someone out of the Anne Summers catalogue. And I certainly don't agree with controversial footballer Jerry Barton, who called her a big sack of spuds who didn't win a sausage. He really can't help himself. But I do blame the BBC, an increasingly desperate organisation chasing a younger audience that has no interest in anything that it does. Play to your strengths and the people who actually watch the BBC, who are those traditionalists who used to like to do it on a Sunday night and who saw it as a chance to celebrate British sport. This year's Sports Personality of the Year Award is a sham, a joke, a box ticked in the woke world. Get rid of it and get rid of the licence fee while you're at it. Now, later on in the show, we'll be bringing you a first look at tomorrow's front pages. But before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look inside tomorrow's sun, covering the conviction of two teenagers who killed trans TikTok star Brianna Gay. And it's a terrible, terrible story. Hell-bent on murder uh, is the headline. The brutal slaying in a park that shocked Britain. And the two teenagers who were charged with the murder um, have been found guilty of butchering Brianna, um, just 15 years old, twisted by what they were watching on the dark web. We've also just got the first front page of The Sun as well, so we can have a look at that and we can tell you all about what's going on there. Bargain Hunt stars attack charges, and that's obviously about somebody uh, who's on Bargain Hunt. We'll find out who that is coming up a bit later on, um, but it's another big exclusive in The Sun. Uh, we'll let you know precisely what we can say about that 
coming up a little bit later on when my panel will be back in with me. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham on Talk TV now. Former US President Donald Trump seen red after being booted off from holding office in 2024 due to his alleged incitement of the US Capitol riot some three years ago. It seems he's been mugging up on Adolf's Mein Kampf, another thing he denies. It's crazy what's going on. They're ruining our country. And it's true. They're destroying the blood of our country. That's what they're doing. They're destroying our country. They don't like it when I said that. And I never read Mein Kampf. They said, oh, Hitler said that in a much different way. No, they're coming from all over the world, people all over the world. We have no idea. They could be healthy. They could be very unhealthy. They could bring in disease that's going to catch on in our country, but they do bring in crime. Joining us now, live from Washington, is former Republican Congressman Joe Walsh. Now, I know Joe's going to be absolutely incandescent about this because I've been seeing some of the tweets you've been putting out, Joe, and I'm worried about you, man. I'm worried you're getting carried away again. You know how you got the last, the first time we spoke, right? And I was worried about your blood pressure. Um, you're quite right, though. You're absolutely right to say that this is craziness from Colorado, isn't it? Michael, that first time I was on TV with you, I literally wanted to whack you upside the head. Uh, and I, I, I will always apologize to you, you no for that. <laughs> Look, here's the deal. And you and I disagree on this. I believe Donald Trump engaged in insurrection. I believe he led an effort to violently overthrow an American election. Now, Michael, I believe that. But who the hell am I? Yeah. I'm just a former congressman. Yes, the but, Constitution but, but, is clear. If you committed an insurrection, you can't serve. But that's where it's tricky, Michael. It doesn't matter if I think Trump committed an insurrection. The courts are going to have yes. to decide that. Yes, because when we did first speak that time, I said to you, yeah, but he didn't commit an insurrection, and you weren't sure. You said, well, you know, I think he might have done, but then you said, let's see what the courts say. Let's see whether the court decides to prosecute him. And in the end, they didn't prosecute him. So the ruling so far is that he didn't. And also what I understand from the Constitution and the part of it that they're using in Colorado is that you have to be an officer of the government. Now, as far as I understand it, from people who I've spoken to, being president doesn't make you an officer of the government. Well, and then there are a bunch of legal experts who will say it does. And But, Michael, that's a great point. Here's the deal. Like, you got to be 35 years old to be, uh, to, to be president. That's pretty clear cut. Yeah. This is not as clear cut. Was it insurrection? Wasn't an in, in, in insurrection? Did Trump engage in insurrection? A, a number of judges have said no. Colorado said yes. What we do know is this. It's going to go up to the Supreme Court in a nanosecond, and the Supreme Court is going to have to take a stance because we got to put this thing to bed. Yeah, because let me tell you what it looks like from my perspective. It looks like another desperate attempt to prevent a man who has got every right to stand for president not being allowed to stand. I mean, you said it last night on your own Twitter feed. You know, if you want to get rid of Donald Trump, don't vote for him, but don't take him off the ballot. That would be, hey, Michael, look, that would be my preference. I, I believe Donald Trump is an existential threat to our democracy. The only way to really beat him is to kick his ass at the ballot box. But, Michael, our legal system, our courts are part of our democracy. And so, it, you know, Col I, I may not agree with what Colorado did, but I accept that ruling. 
Donald Trump has a right to appeal to the Supreme Court immediately. And look, if the Supreme Court affirms that ruling, Michael, you're going to see a number of states who are going to do the same damn thing. Right. And what happens then? Because Donald Trump supporters have just about had enough of the Democrats trying to stop him in New York, in Georgia, in Florida, with all these bum raps that they're trying to hand him, 91 different indictments, most of whom are not worth a fag end, which you know as well as I do, right? Most of them are not actually laws that have been broken. Most of them are civil cases. One of them's not even a federal indictment. So, you know, every, every step that they take against him, he gets stronger. See, this is the damnedest thing, Michael. You know what? Trump supporters and you, Michael Graham, got to grow the hell up. Look, I'm not a Trump supporter, like by is... the way. I'm just a supporter of democracy. Oh, I think you are a closeted Trump supporter. Hey, by the way, Michael Graham, if you're a supporter of democracy, yes. then you should be pissed off that Donald Trump is the only president in American history who lost an election and refused to participate in the peaceful transfer of power. Michael, that ought to piss you yeah. off. Well, no, it doesn't piss me off because it's not true. Because he did take care, take part in the peaceful transition of power because he did it. And if he hadn't done it, he'd still be sitting in the White House saying, I'm not leaving. Ah, uh, but that's the point. He tried to. He never yeah, he conceded. Michael, okay, how about this? That's like He's saying you tried president... to run. It's like saying you tried to run for president, which you did, but you might as well not bothered. I didn't do very well. Michael, he's the only president in American history, damn it, who lost an election and wasn't big enough to concede. Right. He wouldn't even go to Biden's inauguration. Come on, man. He was a big baby. At least admit that. Yeah, I know he's a big baby, but that doesn't mean he has no right to stand for president. And I also know that Joe Agreed. Biden is not a big baby, but Joe Biden is a pretty nasty individual. And Joe Biden is what pisses me off, because, quite frankly, if the Democrats can't find a better candidate than him, most of them should be ashamed of what they're doing. I, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm not going to debate Joe Biden with you because you know where I am politically, and I agree with you. But of look, course you Michael, because you're a smart guy. <laughs> Donald Trump's been indicted four times, ninety-one federal yeah. counts. Okay, it's not because he's a victim. Though. They're all bullshit. Every no, no, Michael, come on now, Jack Smith. He's been indicted for uh, trying to obstruct an official proceeding to conspire against... These are criminal yeah. charges to conspire against an official proceeding. He yeah. tried to stop the election. Yeah, but there were criminal charges brought by a biased attorney general, are they oh. not? They're, they're, brought, they're brought by... They're, you know, not brought by Republicans, they're brought by Democrats. And everybody can see what they're doing. And Colorado has now proven that all they want to try and do is stop him from running. Well, no, see, I don't buy that, because if the Supreme Court, Michael, which is heavily, you know, bent toward conservatives and Trump appointees, yeah. I expect the Supreme Court to overrule what Colorado did. Right. But I'm not going to complain and say that was a political decision. Look, I don't think Colorado's was a political decision. Three of the Democrats dissented from what Colorado right. did. We've got to respect the rulings of our courts in America or a nation of laws. Otherwise, we're done. But I don't you think that also the damage that's being done to your constitution and your image around the world as a country, as a great country in my view, is that the politics is being interfered with by the law. They've started to do a bit of that here and it doesn't work. It's not a good, it's not a good look because you will never get pure law when you get politics involved.
I hope, Michael, what the rest of the world sees is that in America, nobody's above the law, not even a former president. I, my God, I hope the rest of the world picks up on that. And, and look, Michael, Trump's going to have his day in court, a bunch of courtrooms next year. He'll have his day. That's how this process should work. Yeah. And by the way, Michael, if he's convicted, he could still be elected. Yeah. And every time he enters a courtroom, his popularity rating goes up. He gets more money into the coffers of the Trump organization. And the people doing it seem to be too stupid to work that out. But let me ask you this. Finally, Joe, you said uh, that he was deliberately inciting um, the people of America by his comparisons to, to Hitler. But it wasn't him that made the comparisons to Hitler. It was other people that made them, wasn't it? Hey, hey, hey Michael, he knew exactly what he was saying when he echoed Hitler's language. Look, I'm a border hawk. We got a problem on our border. We got a problem with people entering this country illegally. Yeah. But Trump takes that issue, a legit issue, and takes it to ugly, bigoted, racist, xenophobic levels that, that we are better than. We're better than that, Michael, than talking like that and echoing Hitler. Come on now. Well, he might be better than that, but the point is, is that there are lots of people in America who feel exactly the He's same not. way. They feel exactly the same way. You don't have to incite them. That's how they talk. That's what they want people to talk like because they're sick to death of being told immigration's great. You can bring as many people in as you like because we should look after them all. Then say that. Then say that, Michael, but don't echo what Hitler said. But I'm not going to disagree with you. It works with his base. No doubt about that. Yeah, no question. Listen, great to see you, Joe. Have a lovely Christmas if I don't see you before uh, the, uh, the next time. But um, hey, hey, Michael, Michael. None of that happy holidays bullcrap. Merry no. Christmas to Christmas you, my friend. Christmas is what we do here, yeah. We don't do happy holidays, I'm afraid. Um, but right. I'm also very encouraged, Joe, that you're coming more and more around to my way of thinking. <laughs> Don't you dare think that, Michael. Don't you dare. See you soon. Take it easy. Uh, you're watching Independent Republican Mike Graham. A mass exodus of Scottish citizens and camels mysteriously appearing around the capital. Why Britain has turned into a biblical bonanza this December? It's all coming up next. Thou shalt not move. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Lots of you have been getting in touch, so you can have your say here on the socials, of course, at Talk TV and on the phones, 0344-499-1000. Let's hear now from Steve, who's in Newcastle. He's got a prediction, I think, about the general election. Hi, Steve. Hi, Mike. Good to talk to you. Good to talk uh, to you. What have you got for us? Of, I could make a couple of points if you just bear with me. Go on. Can I first talk about the doctor's strike, please? Yes, please. Yeah. Well, basically, I think 35% is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I think that the junior doctors, they deserve a pay rise, but that is stupid. That's the union leaders being absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. The nation can't afford that. No. Now, if the unions were to come back and say, OK, maybe, OK, what's inflation now, 5%, can we negotiate from 15%? Uh, downwards, maybe, then we could probably get something done. But this stalemate is just hopeless. Yeah. Well, they've already got 12%. Just remember back, do you remember back, though, to the nurses' strike? They were asking for 17%, ended up settling yeah. for five. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's just really... I don't think it's the junior doctors per se. I think it's the union leaders that are trying no, no to doubt. force this through. Yeah. And this all goes back, Mike, to the whole situation of the pandemic mm. where the stupid furlough was brought about and the 
the government paid people to sit on that backsides, yeah. right? Where really, you know, we didn't need to do that. No. We, we could have put precautions in uh, instead of bankrupt the country to, oh, just stay at home, we'll pay no. all your wages. It was stupid. It was stupid. And also they kept saying, well, we're giving you all this money. Well, except it was our money they were giving us back. And then they were saying that they were going to go into further debt. Yesterday we got the news that Rishi Sunak had thought about giving everybody a free credit card with a load of money on it. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And now we know the actual uh, science, the science of it. You know, we know that outside, if you were outside, even at the height of the pandemic, there was very, very little chance of you catching COVID. Yeah. If no, you absolutely. absolutely right. And now, listen, the, uh, I was told you got a prediction about the election, so let's hear it. Oh, I've got a prediction about the election. OK. Yeah, well, what I think is that it'll be a hung parliament. Right. It's I not a bad shout. Will, I don't think Labour will win a majority. But the, the problem is that the SNP are in disarray. Mm. The Liberal Democrats are basically a complete waste of space. Shambles. So who is Keir Starmer going to rely on to actually form a government? Yeah, good idea. That's a good thought. And he has to get a much bigger swing than anybody thinks, actually, to get a big majority. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think it's just going to be a total fudge. And you know something? I think I, I feel really sorry for Boris Johnson because he was sold down the river by his party. Mm. Yeah. He was sold well, they're good at that, the Tories, aren't they? I mean, okay. they sell everybody down the river in the end. He made, he made mistakes, he made mistakes, but what you've got to remember is he managed the pandemic very, very well. The guy was in hospital in intensive care, mm. you know, so to say that he didn't care about the pandemic, and Boris was very much, yeah, I think we should, um, I think we should just see what happens. Mm. And a lot of the people that died, you know, in care homes were saying, oh, COVID. All the doctors have said, oh, COVID. But a lot of them would have died anyway. A lot of them would. Ab absolutely. Steve, listen, you make a good point. I'm not sure that a lot of people will agree with your feeling a bit sorry for Boris Johnson, but we might ask the panel about that coming up a bit later on. Steve, thanks for your call. But when it comes to Christmas shopping, there's one thing worse than having to think about what to get your loved ones, and that's being dragged around the shops by your loved one while they run around to buy the gifts. And one man who's recently felt this pain is rock star Rod Stewart. So Rod was spotted in a slumped-over, sullen stupor in a Bond Street shop this week while waiting for his wife, Penny Lancaster, who was apparently in the fitting rooms. It's a familiar pose, is it not? Uh, petition for a men's waiting area in shops, I say, yeah, it's in the pub, is the men's waiting area. And boy, before you say that's not Rod, here he is in the same get-up that night in a photo he posted to Instagram before a Hogmanay knees-up. Very comforting that even millionaire rock stars still have the pain of waiting for their wives whilst out shopping. I must say, in defence of Rod Stewart, Rod's a great guy. I've actually spent a bit of time with him. And I once went shopping with him, bizarrely, uh, in <laughs> Scotland. And I got out of this little minibus I was in that he was, he was being driven around in. And uh, this Scottish guy shouted at me, hey, Mike, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm with Rod Stewart. And we were going in to buy some training shoes for his kids. Anyway, but here we are. Um, the panel are back. Tom is here, Stephen's here, and uh, Laura Dodsworth is back as well. And I shouldn't really say you're back because we were working together a bit earlier on in the day, doing something slightly different, which we'll all find out about later on, um, maybe related to Plank of the Week, uh, we can't say. But, um, but shopping, Christmas shopping, 
Do you do you do it? Do you still do it, or do you just do it all online? Online, yeah. online. I mean, I have to say, if I'm if I'm if there's such things as reincarnation, I'm reborn. I demand it as a man because I I also want a waiting area in the shops. Yes. I, I if I'm dragged to the shops, I also want a chair outside the changing rooms or in some quiet place where I can just pretend I'm not there. So yeah. every every sympathy really with Rod Stewart. Yeah. I would have thought you know in in his case he could just wander off somewhere, have his driver take him off to Claridge's or something, no couple of Oh yeah, I know. But but you know the one who's shopping always wants the other one to suffer with them, don't they? See, I don't I don't buy this. What about you, Tom? Are you are you a, a fellow sufferer? I'm, I'm doing it all online these days really? in terms of the Christmas shopping. That whole dragging each other, whether it's you and yeah. your partner or another member of the family. Why do you have to do it all at the same time? Mm. You're there for different things. You might be wanting to go to different shops. You might be buying for each other. Yeah. So that doesn't make any sense. So you can't be in the same room at the same time. Exactly. So why not just do it? What's what's your preference? Uh, I I just do online. I'm I'm pretty lazy. I'm I'm very lucky in that my father and I both don't get each other presents. Mm. And that is, it is quite a luxury. That is good. There is we're, we're therefore freed from inventing the idea. Anything. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, we don't really, I don't really need anything. He doesn't really need anything. Right. You know, and we free each other from that obligation. So mm. I just have to buy for my for my small child. Yes. But that's a, you know, that's, that's a joy. Yeah, because yeah. I'm picking things I will play with. And that obviously has to come via the Father Christmas route. Yes, it does. You know, it so, does. Yes, you have but to be careful about if that. If there's going to be a story at some point, you know, in the coming weeks about the decline of the high street, none of us are going to be able to say a word now, are no. we? But you know what's funny? I, I spent all. I would go into the high street, but it's all pawn shops, vape shops, pound shops, yeah. coffee shops now. There's well, I guess yeah. I mean, that is I happening. Want to buy on that is happening street. in a lot of places. But but equally, I mean, I saw lots of stories today about how empty the streets are. Um, there are pictures in London Canary Wharf. There are pictures of the M3 motorway mm-hmm. with completely deserted because everybody's basically given up. They've just stopped working this week. And if you are actually doing any work, you're just working from home. And so. There's no rush hour anymore. Um, the only thing that is busy is all the shopping areas, like Oxford Street and all the kind of West End shopping areas, loads of tourists. So I'm always asking the question, we keep being told nobody's got any money and there's a sort of, uh, you know, a crisis of confidence in spending. But, you know, there's jams at the, at the airport. People are flying off everywhere for Christmas. People shopping like, they've, you know, they've got more money than cents. I mean, where, you know, where, which is, where is the truth here? And it doesn't really add up. No. But it is weird how, on the one hand, like you say, Oxford Street, Regent Street, some of those places are really, really busy. Yeah. But at the same time, it does feel like people seem to pack up for Christmas so early now, certainly in the kind of office blocks and the yeah. white collar jobs and so on. They've got all their Amazon parcels sent to the office. Right. They take so it's like the beginning of, of and December. They're gone. You know, it's really, really strange. We seem to be the only ones in the block that we work in as yeah. whites who are still there right. at this point. We're kind of rattling around while everyone right. else is already kind of working from home. From I can't imagine how a lot of Buildings. I mean, I saw a picture of Canary Wharf today. I used to work in Canary Wharf, and it used to be buzzing. There used to be eighty thousand people there. It's now most of the time it's completely deserted. Mm. There's nobody there, and all those big buildings are not occupied. I know people who've got you know relatives or sons or daughters working in you know say the HSBC building, and half of it's just completely been stripped out. Well, it's weird. You're very sensible, caller Steve. Almost every point was excellent, apart from. Boris Johnson, Apart from Boris Johnson. Job in the in the um, pandemic, but you know it's because we locked down. People started working from home. Yeah, mm-hmm. they haven't come back. No, they started to though, and now it seems as though they just have elongated sort of mm. passages of of inaction yeah. where they don't do anything. You know, Mondays like the, and Fridays in particular. Mondays and Fridays, yeah. yeah. It's just Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursday, right. and there's a derisive nickname that people have given them as a consequence. Of that. There is. 
Series of letters, but what? Series of letters, yeah. an acronym which is mm. um, rude. But we, we, we're getting ruder on this show. So I'm not going to say <laughs> that's right. um, We've got a few stories to talk about. Let me just read you some of these. Should King Charles ban Andrew from the royal family's Christmas Day church service? Um, OM says, we don't like Andrew for obvious reasons, but a church should be open to all. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. It's a bit old-fashioned, but I quite like it. Andrew's family, whether we like it or not, and we are talking about a church service here, how unchristian would it be to refuse to allow someone to participate? I was saying this yesterday because the story broke last night that Andrew's going to be, you know, kind of the black sheep of the family again for, for another year. And I just can't imagine what they're going to do with him. They can't really take him out to the church service, can they? Well, I mean, constitutionally, it is now for the king to manage that family. Mm. And this will be the first... Well, probably one of the first major crises he's, he's yeah. had to deal with on his own. I mean, yeah. No doubt he will have been involved and trained up in all of this by his late mother and, yeah. and late father. But, you know, once you have a monarchy, somebody has to manage the family. Somebody yeah. has to make the difficult decisions. Yes. And it's, it's going to be him. And if, if Andrew is a PR risk, then he has to take that into account right. because it's his job to maintain... Uh, the positive attitude towards towards the monarchy mm. in the country, if you know, if we're to, to have one. But do you remember in Scotland when <coughs> the Queen died and they took the, uh, the the coffin up the Royal Mile and somebody did have a go at Andrew, somebody, I mean, you know, some idiot, but shouted. It was a bit unseemly. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't really want that. That's the sort of Sandringham Church on Christmas morning, would you? And no. you would worry that it would invite it as well, given all the news coverage and what a huge... And this is a global story as well. This mm. isn't something that's just a... Well, that's the thing. ...breaking out in the UK. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the points made about the church uh, sensibly, you know, the ideal place for Andrew to be is probably in church with mm. lots of access to prayer and confession. Yes. However, Forgiveness. it doesn't have to be that church. It could be any church, any yes. day. Yes, very true. It could. Uh, maybe in Wokingham. <laughs> or wherever the Pizza Express was. Um, <laughs> Scott's moving south after the tax income announcement. This is a weird one. The SNP, this is an interesting one for, for the legal department, uh, which I'm calling you, Stephen. Uh, the SNP <laughs> have decided to invent a new tax band, which I'm told, if you look at it in the right way, is a marginal tax band of about 74% for some people who make over 75000 I mean, they've always had tax-raising powers, but they've never really used them. No, well, I mean, when you say they've always had, I mean, they've they've had in this because I because law works in a much different time frame to everybody else. Mm. So I still think devolution's relatively new, right? And so they've always had it within the time frame of, of devolution being re relatively new. As you say, they've never used it. It is a major constitutional change mm. inside the country yes. to have different tax bans and different. Um, applications of rules. I mean, we saw this with COVID when mm. Wales adopted really very draconically hard mm. lockdown rules. Yes. And, and yet across the border in England, they didn't exist. This, if, if people are pushed south, then what, what do you do as a country? What, what, you know, if they carry on like this and, and hypothetically everybody, everybody who's going to earn any money left and mm. their tax base collapses... It's still constitutionally for the for the Parliament in Westminster to deal with it. Yeah. Devolution is is not a fundamental to the Constitution. It can be reversed yes. if, it doesn't, if it really doesn't work. I, well, I mean, I think there are parts of it that don't work very well at all. And I think a lot of it depends on who's in charge, doesn't it? Because at the end of the day, it's a political decision to put taxes up rather than and a fiscal one. And they've decided... I mean, already they're getting told by accountants, you'll actually lose money here because people will avoid paying it in one way, shape or form, either by leaving or by changing the way they get paid. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting as well how devolution was supposed to solve the question of Scottish nationalism or was supposed to pacify the Scottish nationalist movement. And it's, they're not having a great time at the moment, the SNP, mm -hmm. for no. kinds of reasons, but still, 
the complete opposite has been the case. Mm. I mean, it's been it's given essentially the SNP a platform yeah. for which to call for the breakup of the United yeah. Kingdom. Well, Tony now Blair to do different genuinely believed, and I know this because I spoke to him at the time. He thought that this would quell nationalism, kill it stone in, dead in Wales yeah, and Scotland. Completely. He thought it was a genius idea. I don't know who told him it was a genius idea, but it's mm. done as you say, the complete opposite. And they've gone from being relatively fringe, particularly mm. Welsh nationalism, although that's you know not nearly as progressive as the SNP, a relatively kind of fringe yeah. perspective to being dominant in Scotland. Yeah. But did you say progressive? Because did you say progressive? Oh no no no. Oh sorry. Yeah, because I think this is actually very punitive, mm -hmm. and you know it's going to be a case for the the people of Scotland now. How do you like them apples now? Yeah. Of course, talented high earners are going to leave Scotland. Why wouldn't they? And all you have left is the politicians on those high yeah. salaries. Although I was told by Scotland, somebody the other day that a lot, a lot of people who make that kind of money are in the public sector. Yeah. You know, so Well-paid civil servants. They can't move. Government advisors, they're not moving to no. Berwick-upon-Tweed, are they? Let's talk about a fraudster dressed up as Pudsey Bear, who apparently is <laughs> conning the public out of money. I think anybody who's dressed as Pudsey Bear, even if it's part of Comic Relief, is conning the public out of money, to be honest, because Comic Relief, like all charities, is a complete and utter waste of time most of it doesn't get to where it's supposed to go. We've Sorry talked about this. for that so, cynical view. Well, no, we've talked about this so many times. I've become so cynical about charity, and it all started with Oxfam yeah. for me, the Haiti sexual exploitation scandal. And then you start noticing all these stories about charities, and you do wonder about where the, where the money goes to. How he did this Well, it's, so wait, wait, it doesn't go to is where you think it's going to go to. No, mm -hmm. but they were dressing up in these pudsy outfits yeah. and fraudulently... Um, going into supermarkets yeah. and getting money from people into the buckets for ages. Yeah. How did this go on for so long? How how much does it happen? You know, we don't even know about it mm. with other charities. Yeah. Well, there are loads of them all over London. I mean, there's the people that hang around outside the Shard um, who are there pretty much every day. And every day I say to them, I see you every day, um, and I've already told you no about 55 times. And basically their, their shtick is, do you want to end uh, knife crime in London? And you go, well, probably, yeah, but... I'm not going to stop and talk to you because you're going to try and get money. And the thing is, you have to give them a credit card. They may be entirely legitimate, for all I know. I'm not saying they're not. But they won't um, take anything other than a credit card donation off you. And you just think, who would be stupid enough to do that in a street in the middle of, you know, a capital city of a country? Well, it seems like some people do fall for it as well, like this Pudsey story. Yeah. This guy... <laughs> It was a pretty unsophisticated con. It was yeah. very grubby, pudsy out. Right. It looked like he found it in a skin yeah. or something. He'd made himself a fake BBC ID, which would obviously been kind of stuck right. together with, like, Pritt stick or something. And yet he still managed to fill his coppers in a few pubs in Worcester and something. It was like a pretty... pyjama onesie. Yeah. <laughs> it just looked ridiculous. This man looks ridiculous. like a legitimate charity fundraiser. Oh, and, and, he, and he took himself away on holidays with expensive flights and, what was it, a £12,000 night villa. I mean, it's disgraceful. I mean, the trouble yeah. is people are quite gullible and I mean I'm not saying they shouldn't they should be you know more kind of smart about what they do with their money but it's not that difficult to con people I think it seems to me no and I mean you know Shakespeare you know touches on this and says fair is foul and foul is fair you know we, we have to be alive to the fact that bad people universally want to pretend that they are good people yeah. and pretend to come across as right. good people even though they're not and we are living through an absolute fraud epidemic mm. I mean it is it is just rife everywhere. I mean, the amount of emails I get, the yeah. amount of text messages mm -hmm. I yeah. get. And everything is designed to pull on the heartstrings. Now, mm -hmm. if you want to perceive yourself as a nice person because you've got emotions, then that just makes you more vulnerable. So when you say you're hardening up, what mm. you're actually doing is defending yourself. Yeah. And, and that is the balance. I mean, life is always, always, is always about balance, but we are clearly out of sync. 
Mm. There's clearly an awful lot of fraud, and they're doing it because it's profitable. Yes. You know, if they weren't making money, they'd have given up right. and gone away. But the other thing I've noticed about the charity sector is that it's expanded massively. Many people in London who work in London are working in the charity sector. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're not in, in, in the public sector, they work, charity's the next place that you go. And so someone like Save the Children that have got massive hundreds of people working in a big office somewhere in, in the Aldwych, I think it is, spending a fortune just on running the charity. So for every sort of pound that you give them, they, they take about 10 pence of it and give it to somebody who's starving in Africa. Yeah. You know, seems wrong. Speaking of which, um, the Rwanda deal, uh, apparently the, United, the EU has agreed a migrant deal to make it easier to remove asylum seekers from the EU. Yeah, so I expect the legal department best take that one. Yes. But uh, <laughs> yes, they, they have. They agreed it late last night. They're terribly happy about it. They will be processing asylum seekers uh, in uh, specialist centres that mm. they're going to build in the southern countries, which is where the majority of yeah. migrants arrive. They're going to process them within 12 weeks. Right. And then they're going to deport them. Now, that's a lot harder that than, sounds than anything we've been said to... and done, doesn't well, it? It depends how they set it up. I mean, one of the great switcheroos of law is that the EU is not inside the ECHR. Right. So I don't want to confuse... I know there's loads of letters flying around. Right. But because the EU isn't inside it... The member states are, mm. but the EU isn't. The e, what the member states do is they avoid the ECHR yeah. by getting the EU to do everything. Right. They just say, oh, no, we're not doing it. Yes. The EU's doing it. Right. So, the, so the ECHR blocked our Rwanda plan, right. but they can't block the EU plans because they'll set it up as an EU entity. Right. It's, quite, it's quite a clever sort of switch it through. Is. But that's like interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, I used to say the reason why France and other countries get away with not having to worry about the ECHR, I didn't realise that that's how they did it, but it was basically because they just ignored it. Well, they, did, they, they also they, do that, yeah. They ignore the ECHR, whereas we go, oh, uh, we'll be like Belarus if we start you know, ignoring <laughs> it and it'll be suddenly, we'll suddenly become communist China. It'd be terrible. People will be shot dead at dawn, you know. But they also have a legitimate defence mechanism. So inside their system, cases aren't... Well, just because it happened today, it doesn't mean it happens tomorrow. Right. And that, whereas our cases are, if it's happened today and it happens tomorrow, it has to be resolved mm. in exactly the same way, right. called legal precedent, yeah. case law. Yeah. And so that makes our system uniquely vulnerable to this stuff. And it just means that we, we interact with it in a very different way. I mean, I don't want to express a view um, on it at all, but we, we as a legal system interact with ECHR in a way that France doesn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also this idea that you deport them, you know, which sounds simple, isn't simple. It's a bit like having a dog with a stick, isn't it? You throw the stick, dog keeps bringing the stick back. You keep wow. deporting people to, to northern Africa uh, and Libya, they'll get on the next boat and come back the other way. Well, the thing is, the, the motivation now is that they say they're at breaking point. Yeah. The German president um, said Germany is at breaking point because of um, what they... They now don't call them asylum seekers because that sounds too sympathetic. They're calling it irregular immigration. Right. And, you know, they have a million Ukrainian refugees. They took, what, a million in 2015 yes. mm -hmm. uh, from Syria. And he describes the country at breaking point. Yeah. So um, necessity is the mother of all invention. Yeah. So let's see how quickly they do deport them. One thing I thought was interesting in the description about it, though, was that um, they want different countries within the EU to take a proportion of whatever they set yes. as the acceptable level of irregular immigration. Right. Um, but they also want what they called a solidarity mechanism, which means countries won't get to choose. They'll mm. just have to have them. Right. So um, it's, it's another funny term, another sleight of hand, really, mm. to call it a solidarity mechanism when it will right. just be a top-down directive. And, and we're told, Stephen, that, to that we can't deport people to certain countries because we have no individual deal with those countries. So will the EU have to have a deal with all those countries then? Well, 
in theory, but it does seem as though that the EU is allowed to get away with an awful lot of things that, that we are not allowed to yeah. get away with. And that that's not a political statement, that's a statement of fact. Because right. when they came out with this deal, it was then endorsed by the head of refugees mm. at the UN. Yeah. So he thinks it's a marvellous deal that, that they'll do this. They, the EU has got away with some actually genuinely horrendous things when yeah. it comes to dealing with the illegal migration question. For years, they were paying North African dictatorships. Libya. So, in Libya, in particular, to keep um, migrants away. Mm. By basically any means necessary. When Gaddafi falls, that money started going to warlords, right. where there was actually kind of torture camps and things yeah. like this. This stuff makes Rwanda look like Butlins yeah, in comparison, yeah. and yet right. the Remainers are like, oh no, the EU, lovely cuddle. Yeah, yeah. Do a, well, the Remainers don't make any sense to anybody. I mean, they don't really pay attention to what goes on in Europe. They don't like facts either. I mean, they've got no <laughs> idea about how the EU actually runs, but that's another story. Let's talk about camels, because apparently um, <laughs> this would be ridiculous. If you if you walked down the street and saw a camel... I mean, I frankly wouldn't be that surprised, but apparently in Bexley today, uh, or yesterday, a woman was seen walking a camel <laughs> down the road. There we go. Um... I, I've got a feeling that um, I don't know where it was that I was where I saw. I thought it was Regent's Park Zoo, maybe that used to have camels. Have you been to Regent's Park Zoo lately? Oh no, not for years. Not yeah, I think they've had. Kids. I think they had camels, and I'm pretty sure that you used to be able to see camels in various different sort of wildlife parks around the country. And you think that's where she got it from? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> apparently you need a licence to, to walk around with a camel. Do you? Um, yeah. Really? But, but as somebody it's... said, it's one way of avoiding the ULES charge. I mean, if you're riding it... <laughs> if you're riding it, is it... Is it um, do you have to have a licence to ride it? Somebody was riding it, and they also had a donkey with a little girl on. I have to say, this wins the most charming news story of the day. Yeah. Along way. I'm so glad you, you've done this one. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, imagine how, how much your day would be cheered by seeing a camel and a donkey walk down the road. Apparently, Not animal... if I was behind it in a traffic jam. <laughs> animal <laughs> rights activists have hated this. I don't know why. why? What's wrong with them? It's live, it's happy, it's out yeah. for a walk in the streets. Yeah. Right. It's, it's going to have a starring role in a nativity play. Is that what, what it is, be... you think? Yeah, it's for a nativity oh, play. Oh, so that's going to be the most high-spec nativity it's play. It's a wise the... men's camel. Of course. Cool. Oh, Did they have camels? Camel? I mean, I know it's a donkey in nativity. I didn't know it was well, a this, camel. Well, this one will. Right. I think it's I think it's really charming, which brings me into a, a story that I find charming, but the rest of you will probably find a bit tangential mm. to the news. My youngest son was once a shepherd in the nativity play, but being given a Buzz Lightyear outfit, and he did the nativity dressed as Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> that's something that nobody found charming in the church. That no, day. <laughs> well, that's why the church is losing its congregation because they are not they're not you know, embracing no sense of humor. enough diversity. You know, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, you can turn up as Buzz Lightyear or um, Woody, couldn't you? Mm. Be a shepherd? Why not? We did make him put the laser gun down. Yeah, yeah. well, I suppose that's fair <laughs> enough. Um, now, also, uh, there's some horror shows going on in discount shops because Easter eggs are apparently on sale, as well as Christmas items. Oh. I don't really care about this particularly, but I don't really buy Easter eggs anymore. I don't know if you're buying them for your kids, but I mean... Yeah, and do you? I love Easter eggs. Do you? I mean, I mean, on one hand, I'm just happy to see lots of chocolate in the shops, but I mean, this, this story is, of course, really very cynical. Mm. It's no wonder we're such an obese nation, really. This is just a cynical marketing ploy because you, you see the Easter eggs mixed up in a display of chocolate and, and it'll probably be three for two. So you think, oh, OK, great. Yeah. I'm going to stop. But who up. buys I'm Easter eggs at I'm Christmas? Going to be, well, because you think, well, I, I'm going to watch the pennies. Right. I'm going to stock up now. And, of course, what will happen, if you're anything like me, is you'll have eaten the Easter chocolate long before Easter yeah. and have to buy more. Right. Also, it's, it's just it's a, for selling at Christmas, I presume it's not Easter chocolate, it's Christmas chocolate, isn't it? No, they are selling Easter eggs are as they? well as... I bought some chocolate. mince pies in November and I was horrified to see that the sell-by date was the end of November. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I thought I'd go. be smart and get them in That's early how they get you. And, and what happened? Did you save them for Christmas or did you We put them, them in the freezer. 
Did you really? Uh, yeah. You didn't eat them early. Uh, I don't no. believe you. You can't buy you can't buy mince pies early and not eat them. You must have eaten them. No, I didn't, honestly. Well, I bought quite a few because it was one of those I was sent off on a mission to buy some stuff for Christmas so that we didn't have to do it last minute. And I thought, oh, I'll get some mince pies. But but they were, you know, they were gonna go off. Couldn't do it. You see, that just spells out how cynical this is. This is all about encouraging more purchasing yes. and making us fatter and, in the end, spend more money. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't save money. Which everybody seems to have an awful lot of. Uh, and they're not covering up either. I saw the quote from B&M saying, and if, you know, if people want to stock up early, and if you eat it early, we won't judge you. Yeah. It's obvious what they're Of course you won't. No, you of course we won't judge you. There we are. Uh, we've got more to come from the front pages of the papers. You're watching The Independent Republic uh, of Mike Graham. Also, we're going to talk about the influence of video groveling after falsely promoting cakes to help children with bone cancer. And also, uh, we'll keep telling you what's going on up until 10 o'clock. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for this. The World of Woke. Oh, to be a social influencer. I mean, imagine how great it must be to be paid money just to take pictures of yourself, mention the odd trendy or upcoming new brand and travel around the world living the high life. After all, this is what most young people now aspire to be, isn't it? But tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I bring you a tale of woe and the story of how influencing can come at a price. To tell the story properly, we have to travel to Italy, where the country's biggest influencer, Chiara Ferragni, has just been caught with her pants down and been forced to make a grovelling apology after claiming something that was not true to her 30 million followers. In other words, the model and designer, for that is what she calls herself, lied. Italy's antitrust authority has just fined Chiara 1 million euros after her fans were duped into believing that the proceeds from the sale of a cake would all go to charity. Turns out that wasn't true. She had been promoting a special Christmas edition of a Pandora cake for the makers Baloco, with the promise that all proceeds would go to a charity helping children with bone cancer. The truth was somewhat different, and only 50,000 euros was ever going to be donated. A huge gaff. The story was so big, even Prime Minister Giorgio Maloney got involved. And what I want to say is that this highlights the need for truth, the need for scrutiny, and the absolute requirement to question everything. The world of woke is willing to believe anything as long as it's said by someone they like. And this shows you how dangerous that can be. The world of woke. Now, Tom, Stephen and Laura are still with me. The subject of truth, I thought, would be one that you'd all like to talk about because there is so much truth out there, isn't there? And you have to, you know, really kind of divine it with a divining truth stick, I think, because so much of it is just crap and rubbish and, frankly, bollocks. And you have to, you know, you have to divine where the truth is, which is easy for you and I, and maybe even for you guys as well. Um, <laughs> Gosh, because... if, only, if only somebody had written a book... Well, luckily, luckily, here you are. Free your mind. Never, the you new never, world of manipulation. Yeah, exactly right. Exist it. No, I mean, we're bombarded by massive amounts of information. And while a lot of it is delivered in good faith and most people are good people, of course, there are a lot of bad actors. Yeah. And they, they're trying to, you know, the pickup artist, the salesman, um, the politician, the charity yeah. fraudster. The influencer, yeah. they all want a bit of your brain and they, they exploit mm. uh, things like human kindness in the case of charity or psychological shortcuts yeah. in order to... And my point really was that most people you. aren't very good at working out what the truth is, but, but you know, that's what we're here for, luckily. <laughs> yes, and we, <clears throat> we should admit that there are people who don't like truth mm. and there, that there is a war against truth going on and that there's a certain intellectual belief 
that ignoring truth is a clever thing to mm. do. You know, with the rise of what's called postmodernism, yeah, the idea that everything is subjective and there are no objectives. Right. One of the things I fight, I fight against, and you find, I find myself upsetting people mm. because I'm all I'll do is say what's true about the law. Yeah. Like, well, the law is the law. Right. So, you know, it's, you it's, can't it's argue. Truth. But that's the problem, isn't it? A lot of people want to argue with it. Let's kick off with what's on the front page of the Sun as well. Bargain hunt stars attack charges. This is a guy called Charles Hansen, uh, who has been charged with. Um, Abuse, I think, uh, following a police probe into domestic abuse allegations. BBC TV auctioneer. I must confess to not really knowing who he is. Um, I don't really watch Bargain Hunt, but I'm sure it's quite a big story if it's on the front page of The Sun. Oh. Anybody know who he is? No. It's my first sight I've ever had of him, but serious charges. But, yeah, serious charges. Another BBC scandal, I suppose, as well, which, mm. is, uh, which is the point. Um, the other story that we've got from The Sun is one we talked about earlier, which is Prince William's inability to drink very much. One pint Willie. Um... <laughs> The Prince is not the strongest of drinkers, says Mike Tyndall, uh, who, as one of our royal correspondents said, probably drinks more than the royal family put together, <laughs> being a former rugby player, you know. But it's quite funny, though, isn't it? It is. I mean, is anyone surprised by this? You can't imagine. You would hope, at least, that the person supposed to be the heir to the throne hasn't got loads of experience just smashing pints no. all the time. As much as that would endear him to us. Yes. We all know what happened when we had a younger royal who was endearing because of his consumption yes. habits. They don't always turn out. It doesn't work so out well. well. I'd rather see him drinking sort of a yard of ale or something. <laughs> you know, I think a bit more traditional. Uh, they've also got a piece saying, uh, Prince Andrew looked glum as he left the King's royal family Christmas lunch yesterday. The scandal hit Duke of York, pictured in glasses and a red tie was invited by Charles to join his adult relatives in Windsor Castle stateroom. So that was the first sign of his welcoming to a Christmas party, I suppose. Well, he always looks glum. He hasn't been seen to smile in public. He's always behind time, a car he? window as well, isn't he? Mm. I mean, that's now the look. Mm. If they did, you know, royal portraits, the royal portrait of Andrew would be in a car behind the glass. Flashbulb kind of Flashbulb coming yeah. in, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, how about the Daily Star? Apocalypse soon. Bad news for Greta Thunberg, there's just 73,050 days until the whole world is destroyed by global warming. Much of it apparently caused by old people farting and burping. Is that what she meant when she said, how dare you? Maybe that's, Probably. Yeah, yeah. that's what we were getting at. Because I thought if Greta was to be believed, the whole world was going to go to hell on the handcart in like yeah. 10, 15 years. Well, she, she, not have to, uh, she not have to get rid of a, a tweet that she put out saying that 2023 is going to be the year. <laughs> right, so they're learning, they're pushing the deadline back. It's going into the long grass. Yeah. This is very sensible the, before the bushfire gets to the long grass because they, they make the deadlines too short. They mm. come and they go, and people are becoming cynical. Because you know the why, though? They do that experience. to scare you, don't they? I mean, again, to do your other book, you know, State of Fear, um, yeah. about the business of frightening people into believing that something's going to happen. If you tell yeah. them that by 2030, we're all going to be, you know, crawling around without any food and water and all the rest of it, they'll start to believe it. But they realise that once they catch up to it, actually it's not happening. And the problem is there has to be um, believability to yeah. it. So obviously in a pandemic, that is a genuine um, occurrence. You can die. Yeah. Or we'll have a hard-baked fear of death. That's perfectly natural. But um, when they predict apocalyptic climate scenarios that don't come to pass and they have to say, well, this hot day is proof. Yes. Or that bushfire in Greece actually right. started by arsonists or there's a lot of rain today and a, right. and a, and a, and a river bank has flooded. It just doesn't stack up. There's not enough. No, well, there's a big storm coming, isn't there, this weekend, which is apparently going Probably. to wreak havoc with the is it climate change? Christmas travel. Well, somebody will tell you it is. It's called Storm <laughs> Pia, which doesn't sound very frightening. But also, what about the, um, the volcano in Iceland? I mean, presumably that's not great for the planet, is it? No, it's, it's, it's not. And, and the volcano is putting out an awful lot of, of CO2. Mm. But, um, 
We used to believe that adults should control their emotions. Yeah. And that was never put into law, so it was just a sort of moral <laughs> belief. Right. But we attacked that idea, and one of the follow-ons from it is that if you can't control your fear, then people will use your fear yeah. to control you. Yes. And, and if you can't control your compassion, mm. then people will use your compassion yeah. to control you. Right. And that people, I think, are starting to think that maybe the old way was there for a reason. Yeah. Maybe it actually it was, it, it was because there are bad people in the world. Yes. Yeah. And one of the sort of fantasies we've had since the mid-90s is that there aren't bad people. Right. But I think, uh, particularly with what happened on October 7th, we are discovering that there are bad people. Yeah. And, and we need to, you know, have defensive systems in mm. place. Absolutely. Otherwise, we will be controlled. Yeah. And that's a really important point, because that terror is designed to create intergenerational trauma, you know, it, all, all the kind of doubts about sexual abuse and things like that. It's a really important thing to remember with propaganda, you see. They can't create fears that don't exist. It builds on fears or hope that you already have. So with propaganda, half of the problem is the message, but half of the problem is always you. Yeah. Controlling your emotions and understanding your triggers is so important, even when you're looking at the headlines. I mean, look, I mean, just look at this. This is not designed to be circumspect and no, cool, is it? but it's meant to be funny, though, I think, as well. Of course, it is all right, the stuff. star's meant to be funny, but, it, you know, it, that could have been The Guardian and be serious. Yeah, right? they wouldn't have been as clever at doing it. Let's talk about the Metro, because I love this story. Very weird story from um, South America. Found alive, kidnapped Brit, 78, was apparently set up by his lover, um, who looks a bit like the Bride of Wildenstein. Mm. She's obviously had quite a lot of work. Also, somewhere buried in the story, it suggests that she, who's from Colombia... Um, had a part in getting him kidnapped, mm. but also used to be a bloke, apparently. No. Yeah. There's a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of twists and turns. This what is, is a, definitely a movie. What really? is it about kind of, you know, older millionaires that they never seem to learn that maybe no. that younger lady or <laughs> is coming to your life, might not have your best intentions at no. part, that maybe there might be something else. Although, to be not fair, it's a bit extreme if you get them kidnapped. I mean, that's, that's that happened an awful a, lot. Is scaling it? new heights. By a Bolivian <laughs> drug gang. <laughs> <laughs> you know, happy Christmas to you, met to us. Well, just to take that out from Tom, just to, as, as a, a, a gentleman somewhat further into middle age, growing old is not necessarily fun, and you don't necessarily notice that you're doing it. And it's very easy to lull yourself into believing you're oh, not no, old. I still look like Stop young. it, <laughs> yeah. Listen, I look into the mirror every day and I don't see what anybody else sees, you know. That's the secret, it is. I think. <laughs> um, finally, happy Christmas to us. Tax cuts in 2024, because inflation's fallen. Um, there isn't any time for you to say anything. You just look happy because you'll be paying less tax unless you live in Scotland. That is, of course. But listen, uh, that's all from me tonight. You've been watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thank you very much to all of my guests. I'll see you tomorrow at 9pm. Uh, it's all happening right here on Talk TV. Have a very good night. See you later. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.